This episode brought to you by Healthier You. Are you living the healthiest version of you? Hi, this is registered dietitian and Run Disney race announcer, Carissa Galloway, and I'm excited to share some information about the course I created. It's called Healthier You. In my talking and working with runners, they're always asking about ways to improve their health, nutrition, and for weight loss. I took everything I've learned as a registered dietitian and made it into this easy-to-navigate 12-week course. You're getting meal plans, you're getting nutrition education, you're getting recipes, and you're getting live monthly Q&A sessions with me where you can ask your personalized questions. We've had over 200 Healthier You participants this year, and so many of them are sharing great stories of success with how simple it is to use the program and how it's made huge improvements in their energy and nutrition choices. I'd love for you to join Healthier You, and you can use the code Jeff. J-E-F-F to save $175. You can go to GallowayCourse.com or find the link in the show notes and follow me on Instagram for more information at Carissa underscore G-Way. Hello and welcome to the inaugural You Can Do It podcast with Olympian Jeff Galloway. We are here to bring you motivation, inspiration, and information through the physical and mental benefits of running and walking. The podcast today is brought to you by Fidipides. As America's first running and walking specialty store, Fidipides continues to provide expert information, individualized service, and unique events throughout the year. Visit Fidipides online for running shoes, accessories, and more at fidipides.com and use promo code JFG2020 at checkout for a limited time offer. It's also brought to you by Galloway Training Programs powered by Charge Running. Join hundreds of Galloway runners around the world as you train together for half marathon. Powered by the Charge Running platform, this unique training group allows you to join live training run-walk runs with Galloway-trained coaches. Each athlete will get a proven 18-week training plan designed by who else other than Olympian Jeff Galloway, a four-month Charge Running membership that allows you to access both the scheduled training runs as well as other workouts, plus much, much more. Visit jeffgalloway.com and see the banner at the top to sign up. Today on the show, Jeff gives us some insights on his origins in running and what set him on the lifelong path of spreading the positive effects of health and fitness. You can do it. Run it to stay. Welcome to the first episode of the You Can Do It with Olympian Jeff Galloway podcast. My name is Weston. I'm Jeff's son and we'll be co-hosting here with Jeff. Jeff is joining us from the beautiful Blue Mountain Beach, Florida. We'll start this episode out like we'll start all episodes out. And I want to welcome Jeff, first of all, and ask you how your run was today. Thanks. And I'm looking forward to starting this journey. I am at beautiful Blue Mountain Beach where we do our retreats, and I've had two really good runs today. I love to fit in little bits of running and walking throughout the day, sort of like kids do at recess, and it really is invigorating. My goal today is uh, to get over 15,000 steps. That's that's sort of an average uh, But uh, even if I only run, walk, run for 10 minutes at a time, my brain seems to work better and the day always goes more smoothly. What are you thinking about these days when you're running? Well, let me tell you about uh, today at sunrise on my first run. Don't you wish that the leaders of our government and the other leaders around the world 
would run every other day and finish a 10K every month at least? Well, while this won't happen, I can tell you that the world is a better place today because many leaders run regularly and millions of average people become runners, move their feet every day or two, and finish each workout with a better attitude, more vitality, and the empowerment to overcome challenges. <laughs> and we certainly have our share of these. So is there research that confirms these benefits? Yes, scientists now believe that our human brains developed as our ancestors kept moving their feet for over thousands of miles every month or two to find food, migrating to safety, bonding the tribe together. We were born to walk and run a little, according to those who study how we evolved. So I know you've looked into a lot of the research behind how all of this came about, but why is it that we seem to be less stressed or have more energy to take on the day after we have run or walked? The research on this is quite interesting. Uh, It shows that running turns on brain circuits for empowerment, but at the same time, it releases hormones. So while you may feel beaten down after a bad day, After about half an hour, there's a spark of hope that turns into a solution to one or more of your problems, and you finish ready to enjoy the evening or confront issues you've been avoiding or look into other things. What causes this cognitive improvement, and are there other enhancements to the brain? Yes, it's all about hormones that are turned on, and walking and running elevate those good hormones to the highest level. Even with liberal walk breaks, endurance running stimulates the growth of new brain cells. This is due to brain hormones such as BDNF, which also nurtures the new brain stem cells into the actual operation of the brain. And this means that they will stay permanently in the brain. (laughs) So there's some hope for those who, I'm not going to say me, but maybe have destroyed some brain cells in their youth. Yeah, we won't get into that in detail, but uh, the research shows that these new brain cells that are developed from running uh, will continue to be developed at any age. So I'm shooting for at least running until I'm 100. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so when you started your running career, did you have all this information? And was it always your plan to run until you're 100? No, there wasn't any information when I first started. Uh, during my plodding along back in 1958. These uh, benefits started coming out in the 1990s, but the culture of running back in 1958 was very small and very different. There were no women distance runners because women weren't allowed to run more than half a mile in competition. There were very few male distance runners above age 21. The most common thing that Uh, people would say to me, my friends back in that era, is why would you push yourself into exhaustion, heat, and pain? And uh, I, uh, at first, didn't have any good uh, responses to that, but I developed them as the research came out. (laughs) So that's why we're talking about, you know, killing brain cells and maybe understanding that uh, many young people in the 60s, they they chose different types of mood-altering experiences. 
Yes, and they didn't have runs to create new brain cells, but I became hopelessly hooked on a different type of psychological enhancement from long runs. So going back to the very beginning, when did you really start running? As I began my eighth grade year, my life was in a series of unsettling new experiences. My father had just finished 12 years of active duty in the Navy, and we had moved constantly. For the 14th time in the eighth grade, I was the new kid in class. I had no friends. I had many gaps in my academic background, and I was at a very competitive prep school. Found myself at the bottom of my class. And were you doing any exercise at that time? No, I didn't exercise. I was a very overweight kid, and I didn't have any athletic skills because of all the moves and never getting into team sports or anything. Uh, but at this new school in the eighth grade, boys had to work out every afternoon with a sports team. In spite of my sedentary lifestyle and large midsection, about the only kids in my class who talked to me were some of the more clever nerds on the cross-country team. They worked on me to join them in the afternoon, saying that the coach was very lenient. Tell them you're running on the trails. Tell the coach that you're running on the trails. Run out of sight. And then you can sit on the bank of the creek and throw rocks in, they said. And I did just that for the first couple of days. But an older runner caught me, and I was forced to run. <laughs> this had to be uh, pretty painful starting out since you were so unfit. Oh, yes, it was. But the most amazing effect was after these ex exhausting workouts, I had a boost to my spirit and brain that I had never experienced before, which is now verified by the research. I expected to come home after those first few workouts and not be able to concentrate on my mountain of homework, but my post-workout mind shifted into another gear. I found myself empowered to research academic areas I had not studied and confront challenges searching for the principles behind the problems, and then the solutions. So you paint yourself as an overweight kid who was just in it for the friendship and the way it made you feel, but you had to show some competitive promise through the early years, right? Well, that is what happens to most Olympians, as I found out later, uh, talking to a lot of my friends on the Olympic team, but that wasn't me. Uh, most of those guys were drawn into competition by their ability to win races, but I was in the middle or the back of the pack for the first three years. And this helps you identify with beginners who really struggle and have many setbacks, I guess. I remember very clearly the problems and the questions and the frustrations I had because I worked hard during those first three to four years and, and really didn't see any uh, significant improvement. So what really kept you going? Well, I went through all of the negative issues and then started seeing what my friends were doing. So it was the bonding during the runs and these honest friendships. We could share secrets and dreams on a run as we help one another get through the workouts and then pull one another out of the middle 
mental burnouts, which I was going through all the time, that friends helping friends in a very genuine way. And I see that in practically every running group that I run with. So you chose the very highly academic Wesleyan University in Connecticut for your college career. Um, So what was the New England running scene like in the mid-1960s? Yes, I was not good enough to win a track or cross-country scholarship. Wesleyan didn't offer any scholarships in athletics. Those who joined the teams at Wesleyan ran because they wanted to. And so there was a a huge difference in attitude. Uh, There were no national championship priorities or anything like that. If we were lucky, we on the Wesleyan teams could win what's called the little three. It was Amherst, Williams, and Wesleyan. But... This low-pressure environment allowed us to run road races on the weekend. New England at that time was the only place where there was an active road racing circuit, and I loved running road races. And you talk about lucky. Um, Some of your teammates that happened to show up there weren't so bad at the time. It's very ironic that... uh, at the school that had no scholarships and the school that only had 1,200 students, including graduate students. And uh, I came there year after I came. Amby Burfoot, my roommate, joined me in, in Westland. Uh, his senior year, Amby won the Boston Marathon. No, no college student has ever before or since won the Boston Marathon during college. Another teammate was Bill Rogers, who later won Boston and New York City Marathon four times each. The the treasure is that we connected there instantly, and we've been connected ever since. The power of friendships and the ability to work on projects together that were interesting to all of us. And actually, uh, as a little side note, I helped Bill Rogers in tutoring, tutoring him in geology when he was having a little trouble there we just help one another whenever we can and, you... uh, well, oh, uh, well one more side yeah. note and that is that uh, my friend frank shorter uh i met during my wesleyan time because i uh we didn't have a an indoor track at wesleyan so the coach at yale allowed me to go down there and work out on their indoor track and the guy he paired me up with was Frank. So we established that relationship in the 60s. I was just going to say, we can get into this a little bit more when we talk about Boston at a later date. But what did your coach think of Ambie running uh, marathon during collegiate days? He didn't like it at all. As a matter of fact, he first forbade uh, him to do that, told him, you're not going to run Boston. And and Envy didn't say anything. He didn't argue with him, but he simply went up and ran Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so as you improved uh, each year in your small college division and, and you were on the uh, verge of a national ranking, why did you choose to, um, you know, forgo running competitively and join the Navy after graduation? Well, it was about Vietnam and the draft. Uh, It's a a fact that a lot of 
young people don't know today, but all males were required to register with the Selective Service. This governmental department chose the number of young men over 18 each year who were needed by the U.S. Armed Forces, and they did this by a lottery of birthdays. Uh, I won the lottery. My number was three, which meant that uh, I was going to go because they usually went up uh, during those um, high times of draft during Vietnam to around 200 days of the year, and uh, three was gone. And <laughs> so uh, as I looked at what my possibilities might be, instead of going to the rice paddies in Vietnam, I chose to join a naval officer program, and uh, I, I had some great benefits from that. And so, I mean, were there any running benefits that you experienced in the Navy? I didn't expect so. And uh, in fact, most of my time was on a ship. But during officer training, I met my best friend in life, Jeff Hollister, who became the number three employee at Nike. And from that moment, 1966, he kept me informed and connected to the rich heritage of running where he was from at the University of Oregon, nurtured so well by Bill Bowerman, who became my Olympic coach. Jeff and I connected in many projects until he passed away in 2012. He was a great mentor of mine, and he inspired me to do a lot of things, including open the first running store, running specialty store in the United States. But he helped build Nike, and he was a wonderful friend. So I'm guessing you can't train very well when you're on a ship in the Asian seas. Yes, especially in the combat zone, which I was assigned. So I, I spent most of the first 18 months of my three-year commitment uh, as gunnery officer on a ship that was off the coast of Vietnam in the combat zone. We got shot at. We uh, had an incident with a Russian USSR ship who harassed us, uh, pointed guns at us, very close range, and uh, and and a number of, of uh, stressful experiences. I was only able to run about three weeks, but with all the stress that built up on that uh, those tours, uh, three week tours before we were in port for three days. I went out on a run. That's that's what I wanted to do more than anything else. And during the first 10 minutes, I lost the stress and, and these calming hormones started settling in. I came back just ready to go back and, and, and do this again. Uh, but over the 18 months that I was at sea, I gained over 20 pounds and weighed more than I ever had. Did this bring you back to your eighth grade years? Did you reflect on uh, on getting out of shape and think maybe maybe running wasn't going to be a part of your your journey after that? There's no doubt that that thought came through my mind. And as a matter of fact, when some of my shipmates would see me go out on a run uh, when the uh, ship got into port, and uh, I came back, they'd say why are you doing that? You can't make a living out of that. And you're going to be washed up very soon. The, the bottom line was that, uh, that having been a fat kid before 
I did go back into that mindset of thinking I'll never burn off this fat. But I just knew a few things. And one of those things was that I wanted to continue running. And I have to tell you that I came away from my Navy three years, my three years in the Navy, with a better focus on what I really wanted to do in life. I had settled on wanting to be a teacher, uh, but I really hadn't settled on whether I would continue with my running. And the two major things that I settled in came about due to this wonderful feeling of exhilaration after huge stress on board ship for three weeks within 10 minutes of a run. And I just knew that I was going to do that for the rest of my life in some form. Mm -hmm. But the competition uh, also was, uh, was crystallized by these late night uh, watches on the bridge that the junior officers had to stand. And so midnight to four or four to eight to pass time on those long watches, the various members of the watch crew would tell stories. And one of the themes would be their past athletic exploits. There would always be someone on deck who would say something like this. If I had just had the chance to do this, do that in their sport, I would have been in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and so forth. Well, after hearing this over and over again and people giving excuses or whatever, I made the commitment to myself as I was separating from my time in the Navy that I was going to train smart after returning to civilian life and just do the best I could. I also looked into a graduate uh, program where I could train seriously and increase my weekly mileage because I realized that that was really what I needed to do to get in much better shape. And so did you really have this goal of making the Olympic team at that point? No. When I returned to Atlanta in 1970, I had no dreams of being an Olympian. I was way too far away from that level. Uh, I looked ahead um, uh, about every six months. In the first six months after I got back, I was just getting my mileage back up to about 70 miles a week, about 10 miles a day. But uh, the first Peachtree Road Race was run that just before I left for graduate school, and I won that race. And even though Peachtree was uh, not really much of uh, any stellar race at the time, it, uh, it certainly gave me an idea that uh, there were runners from all over the South that came, and I really had no trouble winning that race. So it, it gave me a platform to start with. But some of the runners who came to Peachtree told me about a new postgraduate track club that was forming out of the University of Florida in Gainesville with Frank Shorter and 68 Olympian Jack Batchelor. Well, I knew about Jack. He was the only U.S. athlete to qualify for the final in the 68 Olympics. But uh, Frank was a friend of mine from, from college days. And so I visited Gainesville and talked to the folks who were organizing the Florida Track Club. And um, I also visited Tallahassee, where Florida State was located. 
and I chose Florida State because there were many more trails there, which I loved running, and it was more laid back. So on a day-to-day basis, you weren't training with Jack and Frank? No, we got together on weekends for races, and occasionally we had some training weekends together, but that was only during the weekend, and it was uh, sporadically. It was only during the last two months before the 72 Olympic trials that I ran daily with Jack and Frank. We went up to, uh, to Vail, Colorado to train at altitude, courtesy of Frank's work in getting some uh, uh, really uh, affordable housing. And uh, after almost two years of 140 miles a week at that point, I'd, I'd built up and significantly better quality workouts than I had run before. Uh, I saw progress uh, and and I learned so much from them about fine tuning. And, you know, uh, I had just a, an amazing experience, which we will be talking about in this podcast series. <laughs> Were you really anywhere near like ready to qualify for an Olympic team? I had already qualified for the trials in the marathon and my image of my chances were, first of all, I was ranked about 10th in the U S but, but in, um, the Boston marathon, which I ran right before going up to Vail. I, I was the second American at Boston. And even though I was ranked by time about 10th, I believe, um, that second place American finish and 11th place overall in Boston uh, gave me hopes that I had an outside chance of uh, possibly qualifying there. But I also wanted to qualify in the 10K. And I was a good bit away from that. I was, I was a full two minutes away from reaching a qualifying standard. But the icing on the cake was that training up there at altitude with Jack Batchelor, who had been to Mexico City Olympics, and my friend Frank Shorter. And the two of them at the time were ranked between second and fifth for the previous three years in the world. So these were guys that knew what they needed to do. And I tagged along with them and I learned an awful lot. (laughs) So this must've been a pretty exciting time for you. Oh my gosh. You know, during the 12 years that I had been running from eighth grade through college, there were other areas in my life that were more important than running. I would squeeze my workouts into each day as I worked on studies, my family, my work, because I had a lot of um, part-time jobs. But once I arrived in Tallahassee, I was focused on my running first and my studies just right behind that. I did work a part-time job, but it was, it was sandwiched in to help pay the rent. Uh, what suffered was social life. Uh, they running uh, up to uh, 20 miles a day, which I got into in Tallahassee, uh, and doing the other stuff with the studies, it didn't really leave any time for social life. But I was meeting top runners at these meets, and, and I was meeting coaches and comparing notes with them. And 
and then I was pushing my endurance just every six months. So I was getting a, a wonderful set of experiences knowing that it may not lead to the Olympics, but I was okay with that. Well, that sounds like a nice, a very nice place for a little cliffhanger, if you will. Um, so what, what are we going to talk about in the upcoming episodes of this podcast? There are so many inspiring stories ahead, and I gave you a little glimpse into the lead-up to my Olympic trials experience, which uh, people really love me to tell these stories. But, uh, well, we've got interesting details that you probably have not heard, and I've uh, done my research and going through my notes and journals and found things recently that I had forgotten about. And so I've been able to uh, detail those into the script of our episodes that are upcoming. I've also had access to the viewpoints of a lot of others who went through the same experiences and uh, gave me more details to bring up. And because we're dealing with over six decades, you'll find several eras of running people, trends, philosophy shifts, and really good friends. So you'll be talking about some of your friends like Steve Prefontaine, Frank Shorter, Dave Waddell, others. You better believe I will. And uh, there'll be some things that you probably hadn't heard about Pre and Frank, Dave, and and a number of others. And uh, the, the bottom line is that we were all in this together back then, and we helped one another, and we're still friends today. It was a wonderful time there, and it's a wonderful time now, and I'll be telling you about it. Um, would you say some of those friends, those, those running um, companions were your heroes, or do you have any, some other heroes that, um, that have helped you along the way? Well, in various ways. The friends that I told you, and uh, one of my heroes is Billy Mills, which we'll be talking about too. But I have to tell you that the top two on my hero list are my mom and dad. My mom finished the Peachtree Road Race when she was over 80 with a smile on her face while she was battling non-smoking lung cancer. And my father, who started running at 52, lost 55 pounds, and at the age of 60, ran a 258 marathon. His best advice to me that I have carried with me the rest of my life was that it was more important to be a good teacher than to become a world-class runner. He continued to run until he passed at age 87, and I was fortunate to be able to do both. Yeah, I was going to say, you you accomplished both of those, and um, no, it sounds like some great episode um, fodder for later. Um, but this is not a training podcast, you wouldn't say? No, it's um, the, the Galloway Extra Mile podcast by Kevin Gwynn does this really well, the training part of it. And I often say that each runner is the captain of his or her own ship. But this podcast is about my journey, but always with lessons that all of us can learn and life-changing experiences that emerged 
only because I ran. So it's more about life than just competition and faster times. Yes, for me, running has always been more about the friendships and about digging down inside to overcome challenges and find out what you can really do when you're under stress. And then, and this is the most important part to me today, to help others get into this amazing way of life. So this this way of life and running, why do you think it's so different than other sports? While other sports attract spectators and inspire average people to comment on mistakes and strategies of pro teams, elite coaches, and high-paid athletes, the training for distance events transforms average people into endurance athletes at any age and at any level of exertion. In contrast to the aggression, critical, argumentative nature of other sport commentators, runners tend to become positive, supportive, and empathetic with a continuing series of great friendship opportunities during every group run. (laughs) Well, I hope you will tell some of the amazing stories that led to your Olympic competition, racing against the Russians in Russia, the Africans in Africa, and the the world cross country championships, um, your experiences at the Boston Marathon, and so many other good stories. I look forward to that. Yes, there are a large number of these stories and I will say that people do love for me to tell them so I'm going to be telling them and there are uh, inspirational performances interesting people and we have lined up interviews with a lot of these from varied backgrounds and they'll be talking about their running but how it's enhanced their lives but the best part of my running life today is in helping others get hooked as I did and how it changes lives for the better. I want each one of you to get all of these powerful benefits of running to mind, body, and spirit without exhaustion and puking. I'm against those things. And I want you to reach out and bring others into these life-changing experiences. So, until the next episode, let's get our feet moving and turn on our brains. You can do it. I'm Jeff Galloway. And I'm Weston Galloway. This has been the You Can Do It with Olympian Jeff Galloway podcast, and we'll see you next time. Started in the eighth grade, running with some friends of mine. Yeah.